In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Vegeta Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. And somehow, somehow there are there are a multiple biggest headlines in news and politics that are some of the biggest headlines of a generation. And here we are to unpack it casually. Yo, they were not yeah. joking with that curse, man. May you live in interesting times. Yo, I want a boring <sighs> time. Feel free to make things boring at any moment. I'm precedented even make politics boring again. Can we do that? That's that's my joy. That's what I want. Not the this. I mean, what we saw yesterday was truly some of the they promised they were like there. This is going to be crazy information. And I was like, you know what? Like my bar is high for for Mm -hmm. this to be really to be what you're saying it is. And it actually exceeded that. Um, yeah, I yeah. can't believe the things we assumed were true and parodied were actually true. Totally. And I, it's so disorienting that this hearing yesterday, we'll talk about a uh, testimony from Mark Meadows, aide Cassidy Hutchinson is happening in the middle of like, I know it's so hard to think of anything else, but the row stuff, cause it's just so, I don't, I've said crazy, I've said wild enough, but it's just so all encompassing. But if you have not touched in on this, on what happened yesterday, give yourself a break from the abortion stuff, because this is also something that our kids are going to ask us about, like what we heard yesterday. Yeah. I think, I also think it helps to understand that these aren't, these aren't isolated things. And yeah. this is a, you know, what's been, what, conservatives have been doing for 50 years culminated in these things happening at the same time. Like Trump both nominated these Supreme Court people. So like the procedure of getting the cases to them and also the procedure of accountability for his attempt to stay in power. And um, so it's not really that it's yes, it is pretty wild that they're happening like the same day, but also it sort of mm. makes sense in how, in terms of how long everything takes to, to move in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, especially when we're talking about the January sixth, it's it is a a deep. <laughs> it's going to sound so crazy. Okay, it's it's it has many layers to it. It has connections to many facets of the Republican Party, including possibly, which we. You know, since Jenny Thomas's lawyer insisted that just because she sent all those emails to the people who are definitely being plotted, <laughs> you know, John Eastman just got <laughs> all of his records seized and <laughs> his phone seized and a whole bunch of other stuff. 
just because she was communicating with him doesn't mean anything. Just because she sent a form letter to some legislators, that's not a thing. And also, I mean, just because she's married to Supreme Court justice, who's also the most reactionary one on the bench, doesn't mean anything. None of this is a reason for her to do interviews, you know, under oath. Have they really not asked for her to come? No, they they are asking. And her lawyer was like, you don't look at the man behind the curtain. None of these things actually matter. So she doesn't need to give an interview. And people were like, I would love to hear from Ginny. I'll say I'll put I'm just gonna put that out there. I'd love to hear from her. <laughs> Last week, she said she would testify. And now this week, she's saying she has no reason to testify. So mm. it seems like she consulted with a lawyer, perhaps her yeah. own husband. I hesitate to say this because I was gonna say I feel like this was the day I feel like people might actually go to prison, even though that should have happened so many times before. But I want to talk about for today, mostly like why, maybe why yesterday seemed to be so significant. So I'm going to kind of like detail what Cassidy Hutchins said yesterday. um, And then we'll just like interrupt me at any time for your analysis. (laughs) This is going to be very um, rapid fire emotional. I'm just going to go right through it. I'm going to be Cassidy Hutchinson. We were discussing this uh, this morning, but I couldn't help but but think wonder this morning who's going to play twenty five year old Cassidy Hutchinson in the in the in the premium cable miniseries about this? Yeah, I thought it, I think it's Jennifer Lawrence. I tweeted that someone responded to me oh, that did? they think Brie Larson. Oh um, yes. I think that could be a good option. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, yeah. Caitlin. Anyone? I'm trying. To I know. actually think we're going to get a young somebody for this, and it's going to be somebody we we're maybe not as familiar with because mm-hmm. they're going to leave people the big names for like the bigger roles where it's going to like this is going to be a moment where somebody's going to get a chance to shine and we haven't met them yet but we're going to know them afterwards that's my my prediction they say she can do anything (laughs) (laughs) wonderful Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy Gift Mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. 
And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So yesterday we saw testimony from her. She's a 25-year-old, as I said, former aide of Mark Meadows, who was Trump's chief of staff during the insurrection. He was his last chief of staff. And during those White House attempts to overturn the result of the election. I guess we'll start with the magnetometers. Why not? So one real bombshell yesterday was the revelation that Trump was obviously very angry um, at the size of the rally. He didn't think it was big enough. And he felt the fact that they weren't letting people through with their weapons was contributing to that. Like, obviously, these people had weapons. They weren't willing to part with them to get through the magnetometers and into the rally. And that was fucking with the picture he wanted to take. So Hutchinson said that she was in the vicinity of a conversation where she overheard the president say something to the effect of, I don't fucking care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take that the effing mags away. Let my people in. And I guess he said that they could march to the Capitol from there. Some of the weapons described include semi-automatic rifles, bear sprays. And I don't know why I'm just so hung up on the fact that she said they had spears. That's crazy. Because <laughs> it's so old fashioned. It's just home. so weird. It's more it's than like so that. performative. It's so I mean, yeah, it's the performance. It's the it's the Lumping. inherent like decision to it's there's something about it, it's very Lord of the Flies. It's very like fashioning your own weapon. Like, why do you where are you in this country right now where you need to fashion a weapon impromptu weapon, let alone in Washington, DC, before going to see a lawmaker like at no point should a spear or making your own spear be part of any any visit <laughs> to your legislature i just am really laughing at insurrection larping i can't <laughs> yeah that is so funny because you mentioned lord of the flies this is something that i feel like is is a is a theme that i see coming out with the arguments around abortion you see it with the insurrection is that there is a deep childishness that is involved in the people who remain MAGA and who refuse to peel off as you as it will. Um, and I think that there's, you know, it makes sense when you hear Trump's behavior described. Like it is really no different than a one-year-old throwing uh, their, yeah, their food against the that, floor. Yeah. It's like, so these people who are all so enthralled of him, these weren't his casual voters. They came to see him so that they could march in unison with him to the Capitol where they said he was going to like enter the house chamber. And, and what? I don't know if I put that in, but that is crazy. I would jokingly say, was he going to strangle Mike Pence with his bare hands? But then we also heard that he essentially attempted to do that to his own secret service agent. So I think that like this, there is a, a a theme that these are people who can never developed impulse control. I say <laughs> right. that I myself am a very impulsive person, but um, but they, you know, it's this lack of impulse control, this lack of 
empathy, ability to see anything sort of outside of like your own self-interest and preservation that is common in in these religious rulings as well. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a lot of... Right. The fact that these actions happened, you know, in kind of like his last moments to clinch, to, to really try to, to get this back for himself, not, you know... I feel like makes it even scarier, like the desperation that he was feeling, like who exactly who knows who he was ready to strangle. I was just thinking about the like him entering the house chamber. And I need to be clear, like separation of powers has become kind of like a joke recently, but it's a very serious thing. (laughs) I really think people don't understand like how destructive it would be to have the president of the United States walk into the house chamber backed by an armed mob saying you will give me the Uh, presidency or I will have them kill you. I like that's legitimately what he wanted. And he wanted to, to, again, part of it is that they really admire Trump, but part of the autocracy is this power fantasy of kind of doing whatever you want. And it's like, again, it goes back to the childishness. Like when we are children, the notion of like limits is something that we're still learning and we run into things and the purpose of having guardians and people who parent you is that, you know, regardless of, of what title they hold in your life is that the adults who are supposed to care for you are supposed to give you boundaries and tell you that certain things just aren't possible. And that is, that is it's not a hard way, but just in like, no, you can't fly but we can do this. Like there are other options, but these people do not have the self-control for any of that. And they want to manifest this power fantasy where they get to do whatever it is that they want. And there's never any consequences. He was going to leave an art mom to kill them. I just, yeah, and here's the thing, you know, that like in his head, he was picturing himself as Washington crossing the Delaware. <laughs> like that was the image that you know he had as he After was walking to the Capitol. His, his sketty on the wall. <laughs> wait, wait, so I Googled that. I Googled Trump Washington crossing the Delaware. And there are like fan paintings. There are people selling that painting on eBay on a blanket. So like, it's not that like, oh, this just occurred to me that he thinks yeah. this, but they already think it and they think it for real. And he, uh, you know, it, these are the people who are fucking MAGA merch sellers. Knowing you have that behind you is like, obviously it deludes you into thinking it could be even more, like, of course he doesn't like have the self, of course he's going to do that. He has this whole pack of people that's going to protect him. That's going to be with him when he does this. It's not like he was just like one guy going rogue that every, he had, every time we have a hearing, it's like we were really moments away or a couple of beats away from utter, Carnage from house members of the house being speared. We are not overstating that. Like we are not. Another thing I think that this hearing points out is there is a space between what ended up on Twitter and what was happening in real life. So, you know, we all sort of have been putting together the the reality that Trump knew Mike Pence was in danger when he tweeted mm-hmm. the call right. to mm-hmm. uh to that Mike Pence didn't do what was right and it was his yeah. fault. So, and you think about like how much more mild that tweet was than what he personally probably was thinking and wanted to happen. And then you think like, okay, so that was just that example, the insurrection example, how there's, 
what was actually happening during all the other tweets? Like when he had COVID, mm -hmm. was he, what was he really doing? When he tweeted about Kim Jong-un and Rocket Man, was he actually asking for the nuclear football? Like, is that what, is that what like the calm reaction mm -hmm. ended up being? Yeah, so, that's really scary to think about. So, and, and, and what's scarier is that it wasn't like Cassidy, whatever she, she, said that this wasn't the first time she knew of him throwing shit. Mm -hmm. And like, if she, if this sort of somewhat connected, you know, aid, what was he doing in front of people he actually trusted like Giuliani? So it's, and they knew they all fucking knew this man was not sane. Yeah. They knew that what he was doing could cause serious, serious violence. And to me, no, it wasn't, this wasn't surprising, I guess, but what she seemed to really detail was Mark Meadows kind of like just ignoring it, just ignoring it. I mean, of course he's been complicit, but there's been this sort of like picture of him as just like haplessly getting all of these texts and trying to like manage his stress and like, oh gosh, everyone's coming after Mark Meadows. Seems like he was perfectly fine to just chill it out, like wait it out and see what happened. She described White House counsel telling Mark Meadows, who was her boss at the time, you know, people are bringing these things. This is going to be very bad. And Mark Meadows responded like, let the president know. It's fine. Like, you know, let him know. And Rudy Giuliani, once, like I guess he said in front of Cassidy, the six is going to be very bad. He knew that and he did nothing, which seems like a crime. They were sitting underneath that testimony that like under the more explosive stuff were their own explosive things. I cannot stop going back to the part where she talked about how she went to go tell Mark Meadows something. And he was in a car and it was very weird. And he'd gone into the car to have the phone conversation. And when she went to interrupt him, which he, again, all, all of this felt very weird. It was not normal for him to be sequestered. And it was definitely not normal for him to react to her the way that he did, which is when she opened the door to the car to tell him that like Congress is melting down, he pulled the door back closed so she couldn't interrupt him. And then 20 to 25 minutes, she says like she waited a long time and in 20 minutes, huge chunks of news that really should be in front of the chief of staff of the president of the United States had not reached him because he was wow. still sequestered away having a conversation on the phone. She does not know who he was talking to, but I am 100% sure we have the phone records. So we will know roughly lining up who was on the phone with Mark Meadows while he sequestered himself, trying to figure out what exactly was happening as the Capitol was going under the power of this mob. Yeah, and we don't know who he was calling yet, but we know he wants a pardon. She also said that he and Rudy Giuliani inquired about pardons. Those phone records should be very easy to get. Oh, no? they've got them. <laughs> they've, they've got yeah. text messages that have already shown up where they are showing these people communicating with each other and how much. I was like, they've got, they got it all. Like they've, they've got them all dead to rights. When he was like, oh, it's going to be this way. I was like, you knew. Everybody knew. Yeah, he said, I don't know, Cass. Things might get real, real bad on January 6th. He didn't just know he wanted it to work like this was his goal. He just wanted to hedge some sort of like, oh, I wasn't like that pumped about it. You know, I know that's the only question, too, because, you know, you watch this and the average American watches this and they think, why didn't he stop it? Why didn't he stop it? And Sammy, like, that's the answer. He did not want it to be stopped. 
<laughs> his job depended on it. Remember, he is like he is like like Madison Cawthorn is his protege. Like he is he is he wanted to stay there. He wanted to overturn the result of of the election. I mean, what do you guys think yesterday? What do you think that I mean, we've been it's been what is it five hearings now? How are Six. we doing? What do you think we're angling towards? What do you think they've got coming at us next? I think we're <laughs> angling towards DeSantis being the nominee in 2024 is ultimately the upshot is my guess. Caitlin shaking her head. I, I hope you're right. No, no I think it's going to get, I mean, the level that this has gone to is unbelievable. And we are just scratching the surface and they have been pulling this stuff together um, and I, I honestly don't know what level of explosive it's going to be, but they're still, I mean, members of the committee are just out here being like, oh yeah, you guys don't know. Like we have way more. And I'm here sitting here being like, okay, what we already have is pretty tremendous. How many people are going to go down for this? I can't stop thinking about the 147 members of Congress who after the mob Siege, like they were under siege from a mob and afterwards agreed to comply with his obvious lie that had inspired all of them having to lock down in their offices and or in undisclosed locations. And they agreed when those people, yes, yeah. we should strip, we will not validate these. And then they asked to get pardoned. Who someone asked for them to all get pardoned for the vote that they knowingly took. I just sit there and like, this should be, this is going to be some 14th Amendment shit because I can't imagine that knowingly after all of this evidence, if you had even a fraction of knowledge that he was going to intend to do this, you are complicit in trying to overthrow the government of the United States. And I think they had a fraction of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the amount of phone calls going back and forth, the amount of texts going back and forth, the people who are in, in lead, this is going to possibly, I, I'm wondering if it will ultimately, if Liz Cheney will let it decimate the Republican Party. Because this this is this is a lot of people. This is too many That's people. That's exciting. <laughs> Only if she can be the phoenix that rises from the ashes. She, yeah. I, she's gonna she's gonna lose. I don't see her winning her primary. And I think that the deal that the Democrats on the committee should have with her is that if she doesn't survive her primary, she gives up everybody. We don't do this thing where we like mm. hold off and try to find like she's it's like your party will never forgive you. We we've seen it. Like you have the safest Republican seat that's possible to have. Congressperson from Wyoming. You can't get safer than that. And if they turn on her for this, that means that the party can't be saved. Okay? Because this stuff that's coming out, it's too heavy. It's too much. Fox had, like, awkward silence for a moment as they were like, mm -hmm. shit, well, he did it. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, what, what are we going to talk about instead? Uh, this oh, testimony, God. it's, uh, let's uh, talk Sesame about. Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe they are crime. not that crime though. in our children and they just like distract away to something else. This is too heavy. If she loses this primary, I think that it's got to be for the, you got to tell her that the party's got to go. I hope so. I hope so. Here's me trying to be hopeful. <laughs> I think that this, um, I think that Liz Cheney is a really clear example of what Democrats could do if, we had 
a little bit more skills in the messaging arena. I I almost think that the reason that this has been so effective is because Liz Cheney knows how to work the American public. Like her father, Dick Cheney, I, I'm sure he's feeding her some ideas. And what she ultimately wants is she doesn't want the Republican Party to necessarily implode. She wants to be in charge of whatever remains of the Republican Party both for self-interest and country interest. Like she's public enemy number one if if the, the fascist party takes real power again. At this point, I think she's going to have to give up the Republicans in some way and like continue fighting for the Democrats just for her own self-preservation. I mean, the number of people who are saying nice things about Liz Cheney on my timeline, <laughs> like I... I'm just, in some ways, I'm just, like, begging, like, a lot of resist white liberals to, like, fight the the impulse to, like, oh, we've seen some decency. This is enough. Like, bitch, no. Okay? I want to be clear. And this is just, like, a broad space thing. But one of the things about growing up as a Black person in this country is you develop a lot of resilience. Okay? To bad shit. Like, I wrote a little blog post and it was uh, about in reaction to Roe knowing it was going to fall. And I remember looking at the Dobbs decision and saying like, I am not giving up on this country because after my ancestors survived fucking slavery and Jim Crow, like you guys, this is not the worst thing that has ever happened in our history. There's a lot worse. We can get up and we can continue working. Okay. But importantly to do that, you need to, give just enough slack, but not really any credit to people like Liz Cheney. Okay. Knowing where your enemies are and understanding how to use them against each other, how to get what you want, but without giving them very much. She doesn't have any leverage here, except for the fact that she's a Republican. And frankly, she is going to get walloped by her own party. We've seen this multiple carried out multiple times. Last night it happened again, where pro- Trump or Trump endorsed people, including one of his aides who's running for Congress in Ohio, who was on in the testimony yesterday, okay, talking about how messed up things were, accepted Trump's money, accepted Trump's organization, and won a primary in Ohio. So we're looking at these people who know what they're doing is wrong, and they're Republicans, and the only leverage she has is that she's a Republican. So let's use that. But let's not give her credit, okay, and start inviting her in. She's not one of us, okay, and she's not going to be part of the solution except for as far as we can use her. Which is an expert comms person for this committee. Yeah, what she's doing is obviously she is has it has the impact of looking very bad for Republicans, and in that stance aspect, it can feel like you want to like stand that. But actually, what she's doing is making uh, seditionists look very bad like who also just happen to be republicans so i worry about a bit of a sheen on her there was dissonance yesterday because i do think it was pretty i mean this is the only white house official to have testified right is this 25 year old woman and she repeatedly even said things during her testimony about how like i was really sad that this really erased all of the amazing things we did during this presidency (laughs) while also thinking like really this woman had like bigger balls than you know all these like 
older men that refuse to to say anything. So I want I have a I have some thoughts on her and I want to talk about her and without putting a sheen on like Liz Cheney or her because like honestly I don't I complete realistically Liz Cheney and Cassidy probably stand from what I know of her probably stand in opposition to pretty much everything that I believe. So it's not really about that, but I do think that in a time of dire straits like we're in, we do have to recognize that like people can maybe be like swayed or pulled or maybe their opinions could even change if given the right circumstances. So I was reading about Cassidy Hutchinson and she's from Williamsburg, Virginia. She, I believe, is the first person, first generation college student in her family. So I'm just trying to think about this girl who like gets her first internship. You know, chances are she grew up in a Republican household. You know, the the idea of being liberal was, you know, not even on the table. So my guess is she wanted to, you know, she was ambitious. I think that was like written about her in like her college paper. Like she's pretty ambitious. She wanted to make quote, like a civic difference. And I think that she thought that going into politics for the Republicans that she was socialized to believe are right is basically what she did during college, right out of college. And because the Republic, because the Trump administration hired like 10 year olds, as long as they were women and semi good looking, right. because she ended up being fucking Mark Meadows aide when she was 24, 25. And she had like, I don't think this woman ever made like a real ideological decision in her life until right now. Like, mm-hmm. I think this is the, like until this, and I, and she was being directed by Trump, adjacent lawyers. She was being, you know, you know that there's like been witness intimidation now because Liz Cheney said it. And like, if this is this girl's like first sort of like active decision, and this is what she decided, I'm, you know, my guess is that she has seen so little of the things that we have seen to have the perspectives that we have. And she's someone who I will leave a lot of room for a redemption arc. Cause it's not like she's like 50 and like was working with the Republicans in the nineties and the, and you know, this, the, and was part of that. She was a kid. So I'm like, you know what? I will leave, I will be the most forgiving of her. I don't know what she thinks Trump did. That was amazing. But why don't we, why don't we let see how she evolves? That's my feeling on her. I mean, do you think she's going to like announce a run for Congress? What do you, what do you think? Like, do you think she wants like a political future? I feel like her path is going to be like MSNBC contributor, honestly. No, no, no. I think she would want a political future. She did yesterday say that there were amazing things Trump did. So I don't know if she's fully, you know, on board with some of the things we're on board with here. Yeah. But I could see her writing a book and who, I don't know anything about her other than like the few things I've read. Like, who knows? She could say, she could be like, shit, I don't agree with any of these Republican ideas. And I was fed wrong things. Like there are people like that, like, uh, Kelsey Lindell has spoken about how she, how she had that like ideological change from her upbringing. And I, I think there's room for that. And I think we have to leave room for that, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a lot easier to, to come around when like one of your first set of bosses ended up (laughs) proving like proof of concept for how terrible the party is. And right. And, (laughs) And like, she could flip and be like, wait, I see this all differently now. You know, I, I want her to have a space that she can go. And I want I don't want her to think all oh, liberals I'll never be good enough for the wolf liberals. Like, why don't we see how her ideology develops? Like, she's barely 25. You know, I mean, she's 26, whatever. You got my point. 25, she's a very 26. young person 
And like, I don't want to etch her in, in stone the way I have for Liz Cheney, who is an absolutely terrible right. person. And you cannot give her <laughs> any slack whatsoever, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah just biologically, there was never a chance. Yeah. But no, um, I was very moved by her testimony, in part because she was so young. And like so much of her, I, I just keep thinking about like, how I remember from like 24 to 25, like feeling that final thing click into place in your brain as it finally finishes developing and your frontal lobe kind of hits its final pace. And it's like, wait a second, I can now think in the long term. And you start like seeing the scale of things and things change for you. So I'm not saying like throw the whole Republican away because like <laughs> she's not like irredeemable. But I think it's really important not to run to like lionize her, but to talk about how this behavior is something that demonstrates patriotism. It is patriotic. It is appropriate and right when you see something wrong to speak up about it. And it would help if Democrats created better protections for whistleblowers because there was a very anti-whistleblower element inside the Obama administration. Interesting. Um, you know, there there are a lot of elements where it's like, okay, but these rules are here to protect everybody. And we ourselves haven't been doing the work because we've been so focused on like, oh, those are the bad people. It's like, well, we need to make sure that everyone understands that this behavior is nonpartisan. Doing the right thing is nonpartisan. It's it's not it, protecting people who do terrible things is always a bad thing. And it doesn't matter if that person's a Democrat like Andrew Cuomo, or if that person's a Republican, like Donald Trump, this behavior is always wrong. And you should feel comfortable stepping up and talking about why it's wrong. Which, you know, it made me think of like the fact that Republicans are attacking her testimony right now over two very specific things. One is the um, incident that she said she witnessed. And the other is by kind of with the lunging at the the lunging at the secret right. Yeah, the, the conversation that she says that she was involved in that told her about this incident and, of course, matches up with her understanding of the president, former president's behavior. So she it was part of a character testimony, not really supposed to be like the hinge, but they're distracting mm -hmm. everyone. And the second thing is, is that she is um, that they're attacking her using again. We we just saw this. The Amber Heard thing where you. Her body or she I remember she laughed at about her legal terms when she was trying to describe the insurrection. She was like, I'm not sure I'm getting this right. And that's like, like, we just now started laughing yeah. because it's yeah. ridiculous that you, you have to try to find specific legal terms to explain they were trying to destroy the country. And it's yeah. like, well, yeah, she laughed, but that doesn't mean anything vis-a-vis -vis mm -hmm. the truthfulness of her testimony. This has been corroborated. We watched this happen on camera. And yet we're still seeing like those tactics, that dogged effort to, to delegitimize her work and what she said and what she was willing to do. It seems like those should hopefully, I mean, Trump this morning was calling her like a wacko and a couple other, <laughs> a couple other things like that. But, you know, I think those things are going to have a hard time sticking um, as well to her as they do to, you know, like Democratic members of con Congress for all of the reasons that you both just talked about. Yeah, I'm really hoping that there's going to be more surprises. I'm checking my phone. Maybe yeah. another surprise tomorrow. Now I trust you. I trust you when you tell me it's going to be a bombshell and we're like, OK, last season was wild. So I'm going to tune in. Right. They are not 
falling prey to the Chris Harrison most dramatic season ever issues. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I do want more. I, I can't. So much more. I'm, I, I mean, wait. my favorite analogy is that <laughs> Millie compares this set, like if the impeachment was Paddington 1, this is Paddington 2. This is something <laughs> else. This is a way more engaging and affecting. Here's the thing. Like, I feel like the first impeachment, the Ukraine impeachment, right? Yeah. That's the right. one we're saying. Yes, the, the second first. impeachment, the first attempt yeah. at holding him accountable for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one probably could have been just as interesting, but we didn't get that deep into yeah. it. Like, you don't think he was throwing food against the wall when Zelensky wouldn't, um, you know, find the dirt on Biden or some shit? Oh, yes, 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 definitely, for sure. There was so many opportunities to make the, all of this. And I just want to pitch a little bit because I know it's really, it's a little self-interested, but it is true. Storytelling is so essential to how we understand information. Every single one of us is living a story. As far as we're concerned, human brains are addicted to narrative. They're addicted to patterns. They're addicted to pattern recognition. And they love a good yarn. If you don't create the proper context for a narrative, you are not going to succeed, even if the facts are on your side. And Democrats have been fighting this fight for a very long time. And a lot of people, a lot of us, we're talking about how important it is to tell a better story, how important it is to, you know, for Democrats in, in large part to start pushing back and specifically making Republicans, not just the, this individual person that you're running against, but the party itself is always going to manifest people like this as long as they are willing to tolerate this behavior and it does not get punished. And that is the fundamental thing that we have to explore. And I think that's what they're aiming for. Do you think Joe Biden's ever going to do that? I think if Joe no. Biden does, it would be like he's in order for it to work. It's got to be like it's got to be like a level of commitment because he's tried everything else. Like this is a guy who's very obviously mm -hmm. been trying so hard, as hard as he can. If he gives up and says, okay, we go for the party. You know, if Liz loses her primary and they get, and he's mm -hmm. you know talking yeah. to January 6th, cause he's upset apparently. And Ken Singer's out, right? Being so. more aggressive. And again, I would like to pitch in another universe. We have Kamala Harris's AG and I swear to God, she'd have a better chance of becoming president from the AG slot than she does right so now from VP. And if she were eating up these white supremacists with indictments, if she were eating up the Trump administration with indictments, if she were putting the Democratic case, base would be hype. Yeah, we would be obsessed with her. Obsessed. Yeah. Notorious Kamala. Instead, mm -hmm. we we've got her in the worst position in government. She's not doing anything. And Merrick Garland's sitting there being like, I'm a former judge. I don't really get into this shit. And he's yeah. like, this, that was, mm, mm. we could have had, for, you know? <laughs> for I the know. first time this morning, I was like, I really think they should run Pete Buttigieg. And, um, for POTUS? But, yeah. I think Caitlin, Caitlin's like, no. I, I was thinking like, I just don't know who... I, you're going to hate this, who would be more likely to win. And it wouldn't be like, oh, Biden's so in a, weak. In a primary against Biden or against DeSantis or Trump? No, in, against DeSantis or Trump. Okay. Yeah, no, I think I think Biden should be like, I'm not going to run. And then Pete Buttigieg should run. Pete Buttigieg. I, 
He's never known black but, people. It's and it's, okay, it's a fair. really serious problem that he cannot. Really? Have yeah, he didn't have any. I, I, you forget he dropped out so oh, early right. that like he didn't because yeah, he got, South, if, like, if you did not place in the top three in South Carolina, engagement. if you are not close in South Carolina, that's it. You have no chance at winning the the nomination. So. You're not going to have a chance. Do you think there's Katie Porter? I want Katie Porter to be president. I just have a question with him. Do you think there's any way that he could? Are there any things he could do or bring to the forefront that would make him more successful in the black community? Not that it's like for, you know. Or engage with his past stuff in a way that like could. I don't know. That's the problem. He's got a lot of track record of not doing it well. Like the time that he fired the first black police chief. Uh, and then, you know, on the, and then gave and kept the, the white supremacists who he said were doing white supremacy to him in an insubordination in the police department. So like that thing, that's like a massive betrayal. You, there, no black people want to be in power near Pete Buttigieg because he's going to sell them out to white supremacists the first thing that he gets. And like, that's a problem that, and he all lives mattered some shit back in 2015. That's a problem. There was, uh, a, an unarmed police death of a black man while he was running that went horribly. So like, yeah, I remember that. He's never done well. There's never been a moment where black people have been like that guy, he could do it. Like at every single turn when he has met the biggest problem, the existential crisis of this nation, he has failed. That's just not going to do it right now, you know, to beat Trump or DeSantis who are like fascists. Yeah. We need a bench of some yeah. sort, and it needs There's to happen somebody fast. Somebody who's a lot more aggressive on these issues, which is part of the reason that I'm so sad that Kamal's not AG, because she would have been putting together the list of, like, I will never stop fighting for you. I see these people. I will fight them. I will use all the tools. I will get them caught in their own lies. People are really excited about that. People are excited about this idea of justice, which is why the January 6th commission has been so exciting for people. They want to tune in. They want to find out. And for the people who are not convinced, they're getting convinced that some real shady shit happened. And for the people who are convinced, we're excited to see all these people get caught on camera with their lies. So somebody's got to continue the energy. That is something to look forward to. That is our show today. We'll be back tomorrow, raging at whatever happens later today. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Zuberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.